This episode is sponsored by Neutrogena, a leader in sun care innovation. We design sunscreens to encourage patient compliance because the best sunscreen is the one your patients will wear. Listen to the end of this podcast for a special link to request a free sunscreen sample. You're listening to the Derms and Conditions Podcast. Well, I'm Dr. Jim Dalrasso, a dermatologist from Las Vegas, Nevada, and it's hard to believe that this is the debut of Dr. Daryl Regal on Derms and Conditions Podcast. Daryl, it's great to have you here today. Uh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to be here, Jim. So we know that you're based in New York, Dallas, Texas, Vail, Colorado, and anywhere in between. Where are you right now? I'm actually in Vail, Colorado today, and uh, particularly appropriate given the intensity of UV at this altitude. I'm at 8,900 feet right now. So uh, it's good that we're talking about sun protection. Well, I I know that Vail, where you are based in Vail, was the site of a lot of the sunscreen research that you you engineered. But can you tell me, I know you've been involved with skin cancer and especially melanoma. You've done a lot of work in, in that area. How did you get involved in the photo protection and sunscreen component of it? How did that start? Well, you know, it's interesting, Jim. Uh, it's always been a passion of mine to lower melanoma risk, to lower uh, a variety of other things that uh, cause skin cancer. And when you look at it, we as dermatologists are the front end of the pipeline. Basically, our job is to make sure people don't get skin cancer. If they get it, we want to catch it early. But we talk about primary prevention. And to me, that really makes a difference. If you don't get it in the first place, then it's easy, right? <laughs> then then right. there's no morbidity or mortality. So that was my interest. I got involved with Al Koff almost 40 years ago at NYU when I first started. And that was his passion was melanoma prevention. And I've just kind of built on that over the years. And I know you and Bob Friedman and I believe Dr. Koff, the ABCDs came from you guys, didn't it? Actually, it did. I can't believe it. You know, it's uh, 38 years ago that we came up with that and uh, published it in, in CA, the American Cancer Society's journal. And uh, it's been kind of exciting. You know, I, I, you see this all over the place, the ABCDs of melanoma. We added in 2004, we added E for evolving. We once actually did the whole alphabet for fun. Uh, X was the tough one. X was X-ray resistant. Because <laughs> melanoma <laughs> doesn't well, well we, X-rays. We had confidence in you because you said at least these guys know the first four letters of the alphabet. So <laughs> let, let's, let, let's fast forward to now. I know you're a clinical professor of dermatology at Mount Sinai Icon School of Medicine an adjunct professor at UT Southwestern in dermatology, now that you also have a base in Dallas. But can you talk to us about what's going on now? Have any of all these efforts to try to get people to photoprotect, use sunscreens, be more cognizant, go for skin exams earlier, you know, we do skin screenings. Has any of this made a difference in skin cancer, the demographics, the statistics? Can you update us? Well, I hope it has. Uh, when you look at the data, the bottom line is we, when we talk about prevention of skin cancer, it's primary prevention and secondary prevention. Primary prevention is changing behaviors, wear sunscreen, protect yourself from the sun. Secondary prevention is if you have a spot, get it seen early because therefore what happens is you cut down on the mortality. So primary prevention affects incidence, 
secondary prevention affects mortality. And what we're seeing, the, the incidence is still going up for a variety of reasons, not as quickly as it was, but it's still rising. But the mortality for the last couple of years has actually started to fall. So to, I believe we're making a difference with all these things. I mean, people, you see them wearing sunscreen more often. I think about 30 years ago, nobody even knew what sunscreen was, or if they had a sunscreen out there, it was an SPF 15 was a big sunscreen. Now the higher SPF sunscreens are more forgiving. And even, you know, I, one of the things I do at, I'm the uh, consultant dermatologist for the Yankees, and I will tell you the players wear sunscreen. They put sunscreen on when they go out. And, and even 20 years ago, when I started working with the team, it wasn't as important. So I think it's out there in the general population, and sunscreen usage, I believe, is making a difference. Well, I can tell you that I, when I was in my residency in the Fort Lauderdale area, this was 83 to 86, there was, I won't mention the name, but there was a very good pitcher who had pitched for the Reds, who was then coaching for the Yankees, pitching, doing some pitching work in spring training. They were down in the Fort Lauderdale area, and he was a walking actinic keratosis. He was very fair-skinned. His sun damage was so incredible, and he, you're right. He, he didn't pay attention. He was fair-skinned during his whole career. So, it, you know, I'm glad that the players are paying attention because they're obviously out there. But I have a question for you about all this information that we're getting out there. Even a lot of it is available publicly. When I think about when I'm talking to patients about sunscreen and photo protection, we get a lot of pushback because of things that are in the media that really give get things in people's heads about the sunscreens cause more cancer or they're they're harmful to the environment or they're harmful internally. But the one thing I want to ask you about before we get to that is the UV index, because you see that published. And I'm thinking that a layperson, if they see that it looks low, they might be thinking, well, I don't need to use a sunscreen today. What what does the UV index actually tell the public? Well, you know, it's, when that first came out, it's a little over 20 years ago that uh, the uh, government started putting that out there. And I actually had high hopes for that because I thought that people would see a higher number that, oh, I'm going to have to protect myself to do that, more likely to do it. I think two parts. One is that it really isn't publicized very well. I don't think people know about it. Sometimes you see that it's out there, but it's just not as um, out there as much as it should be. But I think you're right. When people say, oh, I, I, the UV index is going to be two today or three, you still have to protect yourself because the bottom line is, even on a cloudy day, UV comes through. And I think that's the part that's lost, number one. And number two, what's also interesting is the degree of ultraviolet exposure that's been measured with UV indexes has been rising over time. So if you look at the numbers compared to 20 years ago, at a given location geographically, you're starting to see higher numbers going up. But we actually did this study and published it about uh, two or three years ago now in JAD, looking at uh, the UV index over time. So the fact is the UV index is important, but it also measures the fact that the amount of ultraviolet hitting us overall is in fact increasing. And again, it just reinforces the importance of sun protection. Now, what about educating the public in terms of photo protecting and using a sunscreen or sunblock every day versus the thought that, oh, I've read that if I go away for a week and don't protect myself and I go to Aruba or Hawaii or Florida and I'm suddenly getting a lot of sun, that that's going to do more damage in a week 
than what I would have gotten otherwise over a year. That that may send the message that you only have to have to protect yourself when you're going to be in those high intensity environments. So what do you tell your patients about this? So two things. One is if I have a patient going in a place with a sunny vacation, I remind them, don't forget your sunscreen. Wear your sunscreen. Now, again, that's part of an overall sun protection regimen, which is wear protective clothing, wear that hat. The data shows that for every one inch of rim, you put on a hat on a regular basis, that lowers your skin cancer risk by 10% because it's protecting the head and neck where you get those. Avoid the midday sun. So go inside and have lunch if you're on a vacation in the midday sun. And then regularly use sunscreen. That triad of behaviors lowers your risk. And I think that's important. But the, the second part of your question is, that's the you know pulse UV you get. The second part of your question really has to do with what to do on a regular basis. That's important too. Chronic UV exposure adds up. You know, being from New York, I, I review this as sort of uh, analogous to a meter in a taxi. Right? It can only go <laughs> forward. The, the the faster you drive, the farther you go, the faster the meter goes, but it never goes backwards. So when you're getting chronic exposure. Just by walking in and out of your car, you know, or in and out of work or going to the supermarket, whatever it may be, you, in fact, are getting that exposure and the meter is going forward. Maybe not as fast as moving as it'd be if you're on the beach in Aruba, but it's still going forward. And therefore, daily protection is also important, too. Okay. So now let's fast forward to you're in the room with a patient and the, the patient's darker skin. And... They're thinking, you ask, you ask them about sun protection, and they're wondering why you're even asking them, because they have, they have darker skin. I don't sunburn. What's the importance of getting everyone to understand, the lightest of light, the darkest of dark, and everyone in between, to photoprotect and use sunscreen? What's the evidence for that? Well, there is, no matter what your skin tone is, you get damage from ultraviolet radiation. Obviously, the darker skinned you are, the more natural protection you have. So it boils down to that, right? But everybody gets damaged to some extent. Now, in a darker skinned individual, they may not sunburn per se, but they're going to have other ultraviolet damage. They'll have hyperpigmentation, other things that you know they don't want to have happen with that. And sunscreen protects that, especially with a sunscreen that has UVB and UVA protection. is going to protect for both. I think we're starting to see a really new trend out there where patients of color are realizing that it's important for them to also protect themselves from the sun too. Uh, one of the things that's a challenge for them is some of the sunscreens that are designed in general, if you put them on a darker skinned individual, they can be a little bit, uh, have a white sheen. They look, they just look not great. The, the white paleness that they see with them. However, there's some new brands that are out there and new formulations that, in fact, are more adjusted for those skin tones. This, this is all new in the last couple of years. We did not see this a few years ago. So, Were those the tinted brands, the, the ones tint, that have yeah, tinting? The, the tinted brands to do this. And it really makes them uh, have the ability to have that protection without really looking uh, pale um, to do that. And I think that's important to have a natural skin tone. I tell these patients... Try it on the back of your hand. See what the color looks like. See if you like the color match to it because there are enough of them out there. With And they, some of them have different, even within a different line, have different brands, uh, different uh, tintings to try to adjust to that. So find one that works and matches your skin tone. 
then use it on a regular basis, it will make a difference in the long run. And not only just on, on as I said, sunburning or uh, hyperpigmentation, but also even on wrinkles and things of that sort. Nobody wants to get old or look old, right? That, that to me, that's the biggest selling point on sunscreen, that uh, some people are not worried about skin cancer, but they're worried about getting older. And uh, this obviously makes a difference too, regular use. I mean, we look so good that that never crosses our mind that you know, we look bad, bad at our age. But it is a problem for some other people. Daryl, we're just going to take a break. I'm going to ask you to hold on because I, I need to tap your brain more. I'm learning a lot today. When it comes to tinted sunscreens, one shade does not fit all. That's why new Neutrogena Mineral UV Tint sunscreens come in four shades designed to complement all skin tones. Listen to the end of this podcast for a special link to request a free sunscreen sample. So, Daryl, I wanted to transcend into mineral sunscreens and sunblocks versus sunscreens and how it might make a difference for some visible light. How about antioxidants? Do they make a difference? Or should we forego that? What's your thought on that? We could spend the whole time on that question, Jim. That's that's got multiple parts to it. All these parts can, right? (laughs) For sure, for sure. Well... So I think it's important uh, when you talk about organic or inorganic sunscreens, they both have their advantages and disadvantages, right? The organic sunscreens basically are the oxybenzones and the avobenzones and the ones we think of in that group. And they basically, the advantage of them, they, have, they absorb into the upper layer of the skin a little bit. So they're not as water, uh, water sensitive, you want to think of that. They're more water resistant to do, which is effective in a bunch of ways. And again, um, they work, and they they we could go through the details of it, but they're very effective to do that. The inorganic sunscreens, the advantage of those is they're on the surface. That's the zinc and titanium. They're on the surface, so they don't really absorb in. Although there's one study that showed if you used it on a regular basis for six weeks, they did a punch biopsy in Australia, and they showed that in fact there are some crystals. These were not nanoparticles; were micronized ones that are actually down in the dermis. So there's some absorption, but there's no data to show that it's harmful. So the advantage of those is that they are easy to apply, they're not absorbed, they're concerned about it, and therefore um, they work. I like the sunscreens that have combinations of both of them because then you get the advantages and disadvantages of them together, at least you can activate the advantages, optimize them to do it. Um, one of the advantages of the uh, inorganics is that they're basically reflective, right? So they're they're reflecting on the wavelengths. They cover UVA, they cover UVB, they cover visible light because they're reflecting. There's subabsorption, but not a lot. So you get a much more flat absorption curve as opposed to the UVBs uh, protection ones that you see primarily with the organic sunscreens to do that. So there's advantages, disadvantages to each. I kind of like the ones that have a little of both in them. So I'm picturing myself in a room and or my staff, and we all try to be educated to be on the same page so we're not giving conflicting information. And you, you, <laughs> you have the patient that comes in and says, yeah, you know, I know this is important, but I've read that some of these substances are dangerous to the environment or they're, they're getting rid of the coral reef or I, they get absorbed and they're associated with, with, with certain medical problems. How do you handle those issues? Can you give me some examples of the ones that you most commonly hear and how you address them with patients? Well, those are both come up all the time. I'll refer actually to the listeners to an article that was in Skin uh, that was done in 2019 about how to talk to your patient about this. And it's been downloaded about 3,000 times already. So 
I encourage you to look at that article because it really is quite effective for that. But bottom line is in terms of reef safe, because that comes up all the time and it's used in a marketing way now, um, there's really no data to show that sunscreens are harming the reefs. The data exists in vitro uh, where you put uh, in, you have coral in a Petri dish and you put 10,000 times the concentration you'd have in a sunscreen in there that would be out there. And of course, the, the corals get damaged from it, but anything 10,000 times the normal concentration is going to make a difference. In vivo, there's no data to show this is happening. Despite that, politically, it's a big thing. So for that reason, I tell patients, you don't have to worry about that. If you really are concerned about it, okay, take a sunscreen that doesn't have oxybenzone in it. There's a bunch of them out there. Or use the inorganic sunscreens, as long as you use something that's important. In terms of absorption, this was really a, an unfortunate controversy, I think, because the FDA did a study, and it had to do with some political reasons, but they did a study that said, okay, oxybenzone and several of the other ingredients get absorbed. We knew that already. A little bit of oxybenzone actually is excreted in the urine. However, their concern was they put a whole bunch of hypothetical risks of what might happen because of oxybenzone absorption, and they suggested that more studies be done. My answer to that is that study's being done indirectly every weekend when tens of millions of people are using sunscreens with oxybenzone and these other ingredients in them, and we're not seeing any of those hypothetical risks that are out there. So I think we could tell our patients it's safe. If they're concerned about the reef thing, I'm not, and I love the environment, don't misunderstand me, but I'm not concerned about it given the data that's out there. But they can use non-oxybenzone sunscreen if they want, or they can use inorganic sunscreens. The bottom line is I want them to use something. The best sunscreen is the one they're going to use. It does no good when it stays in the tube or the bottle. So whether it's a spray, whether it's a stick, whether it's a cream, whether it's a lotion, whatever it may be, it's the one that they like that's cosmetically acceptable. That's the one to get across because if they like it and it feels good, they'll use it. So I hear this a lot, uh, and you know where I am out here in Las Vegas, you know, and it's amazing. It's 115 degrees and people are playing golf in the middle of the day. I mean, it's just, it's just mind-boggling. Uh, but anyway... Uh, I'd love to use it, but they get in my eyes and they burn. Is there any particular recommendation for that individual? Yeah, there are sunscreens out there that are designed not to sting if they run in the eye. And that does happen. I've had it happen to me when I play golf and you know, you have to throw some water in your eye and it's really annoying and your eye stings and everything with it. But there are some. there's no such thing as a sweat-proof sunscreen, but there are a number of, of formulations out there that are sweat-resistant. And if you use those, typically they will not run in the eye. You know, we get this with uh, people that runners get this, golf players, people that are out, you know, outdoors and extended periods of time. And the amount of sun exposure you get is, is makes a difference. I mean, I usually could tell somebody when I, when I'm examining their golfer, because typically they'll have more sun damage on their right hand than their left hand if they're right-handed, because they've been putting a glove on their left hand and playing with that. If they play enough rounds, you actually can see the difference in the amount of sun damage that they have. So, you know, it, you've got to protect yourself to do it. There's no question about it. Well, you know, you're an avid golfer, and maybe a lot of people don't know that you were actually an announcer. Was it in the British Open you announced? You know, <laughs> you got hired out there. I'm surprised you're not working with them part of the time. But anyway, there are a lot of people doing outdoor activities and playing golf and doing things yourself. I mean, you're obviously out there. 
you're not the type of guy that's going to lock yourself in a cave. You do a lot of things outdoors. I know because you send me you send me texts with pictures. Of, where's Daryl today? It's like where's Waldo? Where's Daryl? But anyway, he's working. I can tell you that. What do you recommend to those individuals that are going to be? You know, what are there are particular formulations that are better? Sprays versus sticks versus creams. What what what's your recommendations there that you run into? So two parts of it. I don't want people to think I I tell them. Uh, to be vampires that only come out at night. I mean, there's what Jim said is absolutely true. I love the outdoors. I love sports. I love to be, you know, active and stuff. So that's very important. But it's also important to protect your skin with that. And in terms of which formulation to use, it's what you're most comfortable with. I personally, I'll use a spray if I have to put something on quickly. One of the tips I tell my patients is spray two coats because with a spray, it's harder to figure out where you missed. When you put a cream on, you kind of know where you missed. It's a little easier. But it's what you like, what the formulation you like to use. What I think is really important is I think it's important to use um, uh, name brand, trusted brand sunscreens because I think, honestly, in my, my opinion, is that they test a little more rigorously than some, some of the, not all of them, but some of the other brands. So I like, you know, and I think patients feel more comfortable often with a trusted brand. So I think it's easier to recommend than a bunch of cases. So what about, and I've seen you present on this several times, that people really that are even trying to be diligent in using sunscreens are not applying enough, right? They just don't get enough on, uh, or they may miss certain areas they, they forget about. What do you tell your patients to really make sure that they're getting adequate coverage and how often they should reapply? Very important. You know, sunscreens are tested at two milligrams per square centimeter. There's a reason they test at that high a level. It's because that way the numbers are consistent. The testing values are consistent. If you were to put that on, almost everybody would be as white as a sheet of uh, Xerox paper, as white as the snow here in Vail, Colorado that's left. Uh, because of the fact that nobody applies it that thickly. So people typically apply 25 to 50% of the rated amount. Now what that means is you're getting 25 to 50% of the rated SPF value on the sunscreen. That to me is the value of the higher SPF because they're more forgiving when you apply it to do it. Sunscreen starts to break down at about 90 minutes, both the organics and the inorganics. Even the inorganics on the surface, the zinc and titanium start to clump. So you really need to reapply every two hours if you're gonna be outdoors. You know, and again, if you're in a pool, maybe a little more frequently than that or something. Again, the sunscreen is absorbed in there one of the myths that was out there before that we really debunked is the fact that used to say, put it on 15 minutes before you go outside, whatever it is to do. You don't really have to do that. It works right away at this point, the newer formulation. So that really, I think, is something that's changed relatively recently. What about in children? What's the youngest age that you feel comfortable recommending to be applied on a child? I, I, I think it's really important that, you know, if you have a two-month-old baby, try to keep them out <laughs> completely, keep them yeah. covered up. But people are out there. I mean, they're all over the place. So what's your recommendation on that? Because I get that question too. Yeah, usually uh, under six months, keep them swaddled up and protect to the sun. Well, the reason is that the, the skin is, you know, is a little more absorptive at that age. The, the, the skin is like a suit of armor, right? But the armor piercing is not, is a little more easy when they're that young. So you don't want that to happen. But above six months, you can use it. Most of the formulations for kids are the same as adult formulations. They have a little fragrance in them and smell like baby powder sometimes, whatever, to make them sound like kids. 
you can use the adult ones. It doesn't really matter. One of the problems with the inorganics on the skin, some people are concerned that the kids lick them when they're young. So you're licking, licking zinc and titanium. Nobody knows if that's a problem or not. So some people like the uh, like those instead because they're not being absorbed. They're on the surface. It's what you like. But again, you know what? The sunburns you get as a child and as an adolescent, it turns out the data just came out in a paper, very interesting, are in fact more predictive of getting skin cancer later in life. So um, you know, again, you want to particularly protect your children. And again, the mothers should not forget to protect themselves at the same time. A recent study came out showing that mothers of young children were more likely to get sunburned than uh, women of older age because of the fact they were worried about their kids and protect their kids, but they forget to protect themselves. Where is this going next? Where do you envision five, seven, ten years from now photo protection and sunscreens are going to be? Well, I hope, I mean, the perfect sunscreen would be one that allowed you have just enough UV to convert the vitamin D in your skin you needed. But by the way, that's another question that comes up. Will my vitamin D level be too low? And the answer is really easy. Go to GNC or something equivalent. You can take uh, 2,000 units of, of vitamin D that's already pre-converted. And when you take in the pills, you don't have to have it converted by UV. But something that would do that to be very effective. I'm actually a little concerned with some of the new FDA regulations that are coming down the pike that might put a cap on uh, sunscreen SPFs. The reason I'm concerned is if there's a cap, the companies doing the research won't get the credit for doing something new and better, and therefore that some of that research may be dialed back. So I want to encourage research for having the best possible sunscreen. And the ultimate goal is I don't want anybody to get skin cancer. I don't want anybody to die from skin cancer. That's been my work over my life, and I want that to really happen. That's my end goal, and I hope I live to see that someday. So, Daryl, in your experience from your own practice, from talking to clinicians, from looking at the literature, what can we actually do to reach more people? What can practitioners do in their practice or to have their staff do to get more people to be consistent with sunscreen use? We're reaching only some. We still have a lot of people that we're not reaching. That's such a great question, Jim, and it's so important. The reality is, is less than 30% of the people are regularly using sunscreen in the United States. And we need to have that number be higher because we can make a difference if that happens. They have to be motivated. I, you know, I think part of it is just a behavioral thing. Uh, Steve Wong did a study a couple of years ago where he had people on their uh, bathroom uh, sink next to their toothbrush and toothpaste, have them put a tube of sunscreen there. So they remember to put it on in the morning at the same time they brush their teeth. And sunscreen uses went up 40% with that little behavioral change. So it's really important that we motivate our patients in a bunch of ways. And I think there's different motivations that make a difference. Uh, when you're young, you're kind of bulletproof, right? And you're not worried you're going to get skin cancer. So, But if I tell you you're going to regularly use sunscreen, uh, when you're 30, you don't want to look 50, right? You want to protect yourself. You want to stay young longer. That motivates younger people. As you get older, skin cancer is a bigger motivation in a bunch of ways too. But I think you have to talk to everybody individually and say, what's your concern? Here's my concern. The best way to meet it is to use sun protection. And I think you have to customize it a bit. Are we able to get into school curriculums to reach the younger people? Is any of that going on? It is in some places at a small, a small amount. And, you know... It's funny, one of my son's first words he said was uh, sunscreen, except he said sunscreen, he called it, instead of sunscreen. But 
you make it a game with the kids. I mean, I like to spray sunscreens for kids because then it's a game when you're spraying them and they're, you know, they're moving around. It's kind of hard to rub sunscreen onto them. And then it becomes a little game to do it. But as they learn more about sun protection, I think it makes a difference. Some schools require hats when they're on the playground and stuff to do that early on. Those kinds of behavioral changes early in life make a difference too. You know, when I drive through the local Starbucks out here, they have people outside coming up to your car, getting the order ahead of time. And I asked them, are you using your sunscreen? Because they're out there. And every one of them has said yes. So I hope that's the case. I hope so too. Okay, Daryl, final question. Okay. If you had to choose your favorite type of pizza, right? Do you like that deep dish thing that they do in Chicago that's almost like a pot pie? Um, there's now a Detroit pizza that's square. There's a New Haven, Connecticut pizza Peter Leo told me about. Or the New York thin crust pizza. What is your favorite? Well, I have to say, living in Dallas, it really is disappointing. It's hard to get a really good pizza there, I have to say. However... I'm a New Yorker. I like New York style pizza. I don't want to eat like that bushy Chicago pizza and stuff. I like that thin crust with little cheese that I get a lot of enjoyment out of eating. So I go with the, the New York style pizza all the way. So you're just simple with cheese, no pepperoni? Or... I, I like uh, mushroom, sausage, pepperoni, but even a plain pizza. I go and give me a slice, you know, that, that New York pizzeria and I'm happy. Yep, I love it. But God forbid tofu or a pineapple on a pizza. That, that's, that's, forget no, that. Forget, forget it. I'm a basic guy. Daryl, it's great uh, talking to you all the time. I, I, I think back to 2001 when Mark, yourself, and I, the very first fall clinical dermatology, and here we are how many years later, and we're trying to reach more and more people with education. So thanks for your commitment, and I hope you get all in one today, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're it in jail, right? I have, yeah, uh, well, in it'll, be, it'll be next month here. Next month, okay. <laughs> Thanks a lot for everything. Appreciate it. See you soon. My pleasure, Jim. Thank you for listening to this episode of Derms and Conditions. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcasts at fred.health. And most importantly, if you like this episode, subscribe to the Derms and Conditions podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to this episode on new insights in photo protection. To learn more about Neutrogena sunscreens and request a free sunscreen sample, please visit NeutrogenaMD.com sun 2023.